0: Welcome to the RevDem end of year podcast, as we do every year, RevDem editors wish to talk about what has been most important to them in the past year, both at RevDem and also in terms of world events. But before we begin our conversation, let me introduce our guests. We have with us uh, Laszlo Brust, who is our co-editor-in-chief and also director of the CU Democracy Institute. We have uh, with us Ferenc Lazo, professor at Maastricht University and uh, editor responsible especially for the History of Ideas section. We have Oliver Garner, who is a fellow at the Bingham Center and also editor of Random Rule of Law section. We have Kasia Krzanowska, who is uh, a PhD student at the European University Institute and also editor of the democracy and culture section at uh, Revdem. We have uh, Lucy Hunter, who is a, a PhD student at Scuola Normale Superiore in Florence and also our major sound editor and editor in of, of, RevDEM. And we have Lorena Dracula, who is a PhD student at uh, Freie University in, uh, in Berlin and is also one of our editors. So let me start by, by the f- first uh, question, uh, which is what was the best RevDEM content, in your opinion, uh, the, the best content that we published last year? And let me start, start from, from last or Bluest.
1: Well, it's not easy, because this year actually uh, was full of excellent pieces, interviews, uh, uh, reviews, and others, so it's not easy. Uh, what I really liked was uh, a few new things. One was the, one was the series about uh, political parties edited by, or or organized by, the other was uh, or coverage of Ukraine. I think that uh, uh, that was uh, exemplary, the way it uh, put in uh, different aspects and different uh, uh, ideas uh, about Ukraine. And then there were lots of very good uh, other pieces on Polish opposition and the victory of the Polish opposition was also, uh, that was very good. But, uh, in general, I saw uh, a very uh, big improvement uh, in the reviews and interviews. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. Uh, Lorena?
2: Yes, I I agree that it's a very hard question to ask, basically, what is the best content. So I would kind of try to avoid it a little bit and try to say what what was most interesting for me, actually, and what I would like to hear more also is everything that covered democracy from the social aspect as well. Uh, I think this is very crucial, and it's often forgotten how democracy is more than just procedural elements. And for a healthy democracy and a vibrant democracy, we really need to think of this reproduction of society. Like maybe one podcast that I would kind of isolate that I really enjoyed was Kasia's conversation with Alexander Levitsky. I think this was really interesting on um, basically racialized labour and I'm very excited to hear more of these kinds of conversations next year.
0: Thank you very much,
3: uh, Oliver. Thank you, Michal. Perhaps quite similarly to Lorena, my favourite RevDem content this year has been the contributions in the new democracy and culture section and particularly the book review of fiction such as The Poll by J.M. Kutsia, reviewed by our editor, Kasia and Babel by Rebecca Kuang, which was reviewed by Kasia Jemanska. I think these provided real insights into the lives and loves of human beings that demonstrates the crucial significance of the free and open society that democracy and the rule of law should seek to support and facilitate. And perhaps that can sometimes be lost when we're focusing so much on the more academic concepts. So I really enjoyed that content this year.
0: Thank you very much. uh, Lucy?
4: Yeah, actually, similarly uh, for me, I really enjoyed the most uh, any piece that provided more of an intersectional or sort of like an interrelational point of view. So really bringing together, you know, like gender, race, ethnicity, uh, any like kind of geographical underpinning and showing it really like how these basically have such a big impact on the wider systematic uh, issues that we are dealing with um, in any forum when we speak about democracy. I wanted to uh, highlight mostly uh, Kasia's piece as well with Alexander Levitsky, actually, because it's a topic I really deal with as well, obviously, as an Eastern European and Western Europe <laughs> myself. Uh, then Tarazara by Ferry, uh, because she was really speaking about these anti-globalist movements, but also bringing in the gender perspective and the whole Central European um, rootedness as well, or Ariuskovic uh, interview, where he was speaking about the interrelated historical fate between Roma people and now uh, Jewish population. So yeah, all of these three, I think, were exemplary this respect.
0: Thank you, thank you very much. Uh, Kasia?
5: Yeah, I think that uh, Revdom slowly shows that we can become a hub for critical discussions on the European Union, critical and constructive discussions uh, about that. So I am really glad that we covered a lot of books which are dealing with the history of the European Union, dealing with the current um, challenges that the Union faces obviously the topics with Ukraine, on the Ukraine, and uh, the enlargement process. And particularly, I am really happy that we published the symposium on Stefan Auer's book, European Disunion. We managed to uh, invite liberal and conservative thinkers, and we managed to uh, somehow constructively discuss the most uh, important challenges that Union faces right now.
6: Thank you. Uh, and friends? Uh, thank you, Michal. Uh, The conversation uh, that made me reflect the the longest has been uh, Lorena Dracula's uh, engaging discussion with Michael Frieden, uh, Listening for Silences, it's titled. Uh, Frieden has been known as one of the most uh, profound and also one of the most original political theorists in recent uh, decades. And he's a leading uh, uh, interpreter of ideologies in particular. And he has this new book uh, titled uh, Concealing Silences and Inaudible Voices in Political Thinking, which I think opens up a a vast new uh, terrain. Uh, And I thought that the conversation with Lorena showed quite brilliantly uh, why this slightly unusual and really difficult uh, subject deserves our attention and how much there is uh, to gain by by reflecting on it. Now, if I may also mention very briefly a favorite conversation that I have had the chance to uh, conduct, I would probably highlight uh, the one with Ben Judah, who has a new book out this year uh, called This is Europe. Uh, And I thought this is an incredibly engaging uh, monograph and the conversation with him helped me understand much better what he does on these pages and why he's chosen to write the history of Europe in our times the way he has. Thank you. Thank you very much, Farine. And Now, if I may ask uh,
0: you uh, kind of a, a more general question about w- what you read l- last year, so so not not necessarily our content, not necessarily the content that was published uh, last year. So uh, I wanted to ask you, if that's possible, what was the most important thing—a uh, book uh, or an article—that you uh, le- read uh, last year? And uh, let me start with Kasia.
5: Ah, okay. So um, one of the books that uh, really touched my heart was Norman Lewis' uh, Naples '44. It's an old book published in '78 and it talks about the total social disaster that happened in Naples just after the alleys uh, entered the the city. It shows how, in a shocking way, how people have to dealt with um, the social house disorder and really the author has a special, very good eye for um, dealing with details and describing the people's misery uh, at that time. And I think the one of the best books from this year, an academic book that I read, was uh, a book by Julian Scholtes, uh, The uh, Abuses of uh, Constitutional Identity. I think it's a very important topic, uh, dealing with the problems that are uh, in the European Union right now, with the constitutional matters, and it's really well written. And if anybody wants to get a hunch of what this is, this book is about, I really recommend the interview that Oliver done with
0: um, Julian this year. Thank you very much, Kasia. Lucy?
4: Um, Yeah, I think this year I was mostly diving into all the new feminist literature because I think it really shows well Um, what issues we should be focusing on in our conversations if we are serious about making uh, societies more equal and really portrays the fact that the personal is always political. Uh, One fiction book, which is also slightly older, that really touched me this year is I Who Have Never Known Man, uh, which is a dystopian uh, novel from 1995 that I very much uh, recommend. Um, And the second one that I keep thinking about that we might actually uh, cover at Revdom during next year is um, Anna Funder's book uh, called Wife which uh, basically looks at the story of George Orwell's wife, Eileen uh, She She's a fascinating woman who was basically completely erased from history, and I think the book it's really fascinating in the way that it shows how she was really erased and deleted, and the uh, complicit nature in this like erasure, also by various biographers of George Orwell. And I think it's a really uh, an interesting read and one that is slightly enraging. Honestly, but you will remember it, I think, forever afterwards. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thank you, thank you very much, uh, Ferry. Uh,
6: it is certainly difficult to uh, pick just one release. Uh, But therein, uh, MacMahon's new book, uh, Equality, uh, was probably my personal favorite uh, this year because it offers a wide-ranging, really profound and also very accessible uh, intellectual history of a hugely important idea, which is uh, equality. Uh, And this book has really taught me a great deal about the many different ways that equality has been uh, imagined and has been understood across uh, the ages. Uh, And if I may mention another one, I would also really like to highlight uh, Matthias Seyherz's The Origins of European Integration. Uh, You you will know that Seyherz has been one of the most erudite and uh, widely admired commentators on uh, European affairs uh, here in the Netherlands, and tragically uh, this uh, very perceptive and very original uh, monograph will unfortunately be his his final uh, book release.
0: Thank you, thank you very much, uh, Oliver.
3: Well, like Kasia, the most important thing that I read last year was the abuse of constitutional identity in the European Union by Julian Schultz, published by Oxford University Press. I think this was very important because the pre-existing academic literature on constitutional identity and constitutional pluralism has been co-opted by a liberal regimes to justify resistance to EU integration. But Julian's categorization of such abuse means that the concept itself does not need to be discarded and I think it's important because constitutional identity can have great value I think in demarcating spheres of sovereign autonomy in a world of globalized and plural sites of authority. So I think Julian's work could uh, be very important for ensuring that we can distinguish between abuse and genuine use of this concept.
0: Thank you, thank you very much. uh, Lorena?
2: So I would actually not like to flag a book, but an author that I would very much like to have a conversation with next year, possibly for Revdem, if the chance arises. But the author is Yanis Stavrakakis. He is a Greek philosopher, and I've started reading a lot that he's written about anti-populism, just basically contributing to the polarization of society. And it's very hard to make this distinction of when we are fearing populism and when we're fearing the populist electorate, that kind of then shifts us in the direction of various forms of technocracy or oligarchy, which are also not that useful for promoting democracy, I would say. So I think it's a very interesting idea and I'm very excited to ask some questions about
0: it next year, possibly. Mm -hmm. Thank you, thank you very much, uh, Laszlo.
1: Well, this year uh, we have started the DI, uh, a four-continent project on democracy and development. So I had to go uh, outside of Europe uh, in my readings. And I have two books uh, that uh, were really, really impressed me. One was the book of Wong and Slater on uh, passes uh, to democracy without destabilization. That's uh, a a very good interview, actually. With Wong uh, on this issue. That was a very elegant book uh, that goes beyond, way beyond uh, the literature that uh, looked at uh, the quantitative analysis relationship between democracy and development, and basically got, uh, after 20 years of uh, research uh, on the issue, that uh, there is no relationship between or or this very weak relationship between the two. And this book provides a very elegant and simple framework uh, to understand uh, what kind of configuration of factors and what kind of actions might uh, lead to democracy and why in Asia, That's this with Asia, why there are different uh, clusters uh, of development and developing uh, countries that end up in uh, either autocratic regimes, very consolidated one for that, matter or highly developing uh, countries in which the incumbents, autocratic incumbents, initiate actually democratization. So I I found it very good. And if I can mention, there is one on Latin America, that's another book by uh, Silva and Rossi on reshaping the political arena in Latin America, that is at least as uh, good uh, as the previous one. Thank you. Thank you very much. And let me move on to the third question that we would
0: like to ask today. What do you think was the most important world event uh, of the past year
6: and why?
0: And here, let me start from Ferry.
6: Uh, Right. This is uh, an even more difficult question than the one uh, we've just been tackling. Uh, I would say that uh, what has often been called the world's largest democracy is now also the world's most uh, populous uh, country. Uh, India uh, now has uh, 1,425,000,000 inhabitants. And it has thereby surpassed uh, China. Uh, So we could say that for the first time, after more than seven decades, a multiple-party system actually tops uh, the list. However, India, has, as we all know, uh, has been experiencing an onslaught uh, on uh, its democracy. uh, And also the multi-ethnic and multi-religious coexistence within the country has come under a grave uh, threat uh, in recent years. And also, if you look at, by the way, the the poorest uh, 10%, of the globe's population, Uh, so that's by now something like 800 million people. Nearly half of those people actually happen to live in India, right? So in all these respects, India, I think, should be seen as absolutely uh, crucial uh, as a country. And again, its rise to to become the world's uh, most populous country uh, in 2023 uh, is for me uh, the defining event of of this year. Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. Thank you uh, very much, Uh, Lorena if I can ask you the same question?
2: Yes, I, I think I'm going to go with the quite obvious and answer of uh, the war in Palestine, basically. I think this is uh, definitely the most important event that uh, shaped the end of the year, at least. But I think it's also very important for me living in Germany, and the way that the World War II has influenced the way that the war now is being discussed. I think it's very important to critically reflect on it and to kind of become aware and start tackling the question of what it means to have the US as an ally in different situations and in different world regions, basically. So I think this would definitely top my list.
0: Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Kasha.
5: Yeah, I would just follow up what Lorena said. I also agree that the uh, Israeli war on Gaza is absolutely something defining the, this year and will have huge repercussions on the future politics of uh, European and regional Arab states. And also this war has uh, huge repercussions for the European Union member states uh, we see how it's divisive inside the Union. Uh, but also i would like to add the um opening of accession talks with ukraine and moldova i think it will continue to be a very important thing uh,
4: in the coming years
0: thank you thank you very much uh, kasha uh, lucy
4: This is an extremely hard question and one that is sort of like divided and spread over two as well. So I will save this big event for the last question and now we'll focus on something else. Um, I really appreciated actually the wider recognition of um, female-run movements or research that has been going on this year. So for instance, I want to name the Nobel Prize in Economics, which was for Claudia Golden, who is really focusing exactly on these issues in the labor market and the creation of gender pay gap and um, all of these other intersectional issues, which I thought was really brilliant, or the Nobel Peace Prize, or Nargis Mohammadi, and basically the whole Iranian female-led movement, and also the Sakharov Prize for Freedom of Thought awarded to Iranian women Life Freedom Movement, because I think that was one of the biggest issues of last year, but it's really nice to see the wider global recognition for this movement this year as well, also on the international scene. Thank you
0: very much.
3: Uh, Oliver? I think that the most important event for democracy in Europe was the election victory of the opposition in the Polish elections in October. Because so I think this is a litmus test for whether rule of law backsliding and resistance to European integration can be reversed through democratic means at the ballot box. I think it would be particularly important to see whether the new government is able to reconcile with the defeated law and justice party and whether they themselves will adapt to opposition in order to ensure the restoration of a healthy democratic culture. And then future elections will be crucial to see whether we have entered a new cycle of nationalist and then globalist forces coming to power and that being the new political cleavage or whether indeed the liberalism and backsliding within the eu was an irritation that has now been countered. thank you very much
0: and laszlo is in the hardest position because he's the last one to answer this question
1: yeah in general it's a very hard question because there were many and i don't know whether this is an event or not but uh uh, this year uh, saw the strengthening and hardening of divide among democratic countries uh, uh, on issues of markets, on transnational markets. So until uh, last year, the most visible divide was between autocratic and democratic forms of capitalism. Uh, now, with uh, the policies uh, of the Biden government and also the reaction of uh, Europe, there was a dramatic increase in protectionism. Among the continents and within Europe, uh, uh, think of the state. Is. so that's a, that's a process that started somewhat earlier already, but became a visible friction within the Northwest this year. And I think that uh, we'll have uh, longer term consequences.
0: Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, and let me now move on to the last question that I would wanted to to ask today. What event or trend or any other issue? will be most critical uh, for the state of democracy in the coming year. So if I can ask you to to tell us a little bit more about your views on on the future. And here, I wanted to start from uh, Ferry. Uh,
6: Thank you. Actually, I will return to something that several of you have just been talking about. Because if you assume that the uh, most consequential development for the future of democracy in the early 21st century has to do with the United States, uh, the Arab world, and the relationship between the two. And I think, again, this is of course a a relationship which has impacted democracy in both uh, parts of the world, really. Uh, If if, again, if that is a reasonable assumption, that maybe the most critical, but rarely emphasized issue is whether Arab Americans will continue supporting the Democrats in 2024. You may know there are over 2 million uh, Arab people uh, in the US. Uh, By the way, the large uh, majority of them are Christians. Uh, and I think their vote might be uh, might turn out to be decisive uh, in the upcoming and very tight electoral race uh, in the U.S. And you may have uh, noticed that the support for Biden has dramatically shrank uh, this uh, fall uh, due to uh, the U.S. policy uh, in the Middle East. Uh, so I think how the Democrats will manage their relations with uh, American Arabs. And how the US will manage its relation with the Arab world more generally might be seen as absolutely crucial for the future of democracy right now. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, Kasia?
5: Yeah, I would also like to point out to the US elections, but for different reasons, so precisely because of the support for Ukraine, so whether it will cease to exist or will continue. It's also very important for the for Europe and for Ukraine, obviously, as well. But also, I would like to um, stress that uh, the upcoming uh, elections in the European Parliament are important and will show whether the conservative trend in the uh, European Union will continue to, to be popular. And we will have a chance to assess the um, existing democracy, uh, because we are approaching the 20th anniversary of the Eastern Enlargement, and it will create a great opportunity for us to discuss the state of democracy in the so-called new member states.
1: Thank you.
0: Uh, Laszlo?
1: Well, I think that the most important event or issue was raised after the Council's uh, decision to start negotiations uh, with Ukraine. I think that uh, longer term, the outcome of this process will define uh, where Europe will be in the next decades. It might strengthen, this process might strengthen the geopolitical status of Europe, uh, or the opposite, basically make it uh, completely dependent uh, on the U.S., both militarily and economically. It might uh, uh, strengthen uh, integration among nations, might uh, increase the common voice of the Europeans, or, alternatively, might lead uh, to further fragmentation and weakening of the EU. And I can go on uh, like that. This is crucial. This is a very important decision. And uh, uh, what its uh, longer-term effects will be is not uh, sure at all. Uh, That will be, I think, one of the most important processes in Europe uh, in the coming decade. Thank you. Um, Lucy?
4: Yeah, I think that the escalation of the Israel-Palestine conflict will still have really widespread consequences also for the upcoming year, be it, uh, you know, like some changes in the international global arena in terms of like either strengthening or weakening certain alliances, but also more on like a sociological level of really the disillusion and lower trust of people in international institutions, also in the whole global conception of human rights, global justice. I can already say it with my colleagues, especially coming uh, from the... SWANA region who are really struggling uh, with how this conflict is being uh, portrayed, for instance, in the media or like in uh, academic debates. And I think this will have really, really big consequences also for everything that will happen next year, honestly. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much, uh, Oliver.
3: I think in the coming year and beyond, I think that the climate crisis will be critical for the state of democracy. As we come closer to climate catastrophe, it'll be really interesting to see whether there are more calls for a form of benevolent emergency authoritarianism that seeks to implement measures to combat climate change, regardless of public support. And in this regard, I think it'll be interesting to see how non-democracies such as China and the Gulf states fare in their commitments to reach net zero and how this compares to the performance of democracies. Thank you. Thank you very much, Oliver. Now I'd ask Lorena to
0: be the last one.
2: Not not happy with being the last one for the last question, but uh, I would also like to return to what uh, Feri and Kasha already said about the u s. elections. And also, I think this is going to be very much connected to what Lucy said about the disillusionment with institutions and with especially international institutions. I think this is also going to have a very large effect on the u s. elections. I wanted to connect it somehow to the the topic I mentioned i I've been reading about on anti-populism. I think this is also going to be very critical in how the actual campaigns are carried out and are the actual grievances behind the support that existed in 2016 behind the Republicans, are they actually being addressed, uh, especially in the context of this huge class the of the fact that there's more and more workers voting Republican that there's again now even uh, minorities that might go Republican with these elections. I think this following these trends is going to be uh, very interesting and uh, crucial for democracy in the next
0: year. Thank you, thank you very much. Uh, we'll follow all, hopefully, all, all these subjects and uh, read them next year. So we'd like to invite our listeners to to, to follow us. Uh, we will uh, publish very soon a podcast about the, the international uh, consequences of Polish elections. We will talk about uh, American elections, certainly about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and, and many other uh, key uh, world uh, questions. I also wanted to mention that we were very disciplined this time uh, much more than in the previous two years because we talked for more or less 30 minutes and it's a, it's a perfect length of, of this kind of podcast and I'm very grateful to the editors that they managed to to provide uh, uh, rich but short answers uh, and I hope that we will we will uh, keep this trend in the uh, in the next years. Uh, so thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for this conversation and uh, please follow us, uh, follow them uh, next year.